So the question today is, can you look out at life and know that you don't know it? That all you can ever see is a tiny part of it. And if you make an opinion based upon the part of it that you can see, I'm going to switch over. Am I on this? Yeah, I am. Okay, awesome. If you make decisions, if you form opinions based on what you have seen, especially with your physical eyes, but even with your emotional ones, then you are not seeing clearly. You're not seeing clearly. And so all this month, we're using wisdom from um, A Course in Miracles to talk about truth, because truth is truth wherever you find it. It just happens to be what we're using this week. So lesson 28 of A Course in Miracles says, above all else, this is the prayer we pray, above all else, I want to see things differently. I want to see things differently. Not We've been taught our whole lives that if you want something to change, pray, make it change, make it change, make it change, make it change. Make it better. Make it stop hurting. Make them go away. Make him act right. Make her do the right thing. But if we pray, help me to see this differently, help me to see this differently, then that is the moment at which our world is transformed when we get an inkling of something that's different. Marcus Aurelius, the great philosopher, said, everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. And Melinda Allen, the 21st century philosopher, says, and everything we think is our opinion and perspective. Everything we think is based on our opinion and our perspective. So the most important thing, I believe that we're here to learn. I believe that we are eternal spirits, that we've been with God since the beginning and we will be with God till long after this earth is no longer. And so why are we on this earth? Why do we take on these bodies when we are the spirit of divine love? Why would we limit ourselves in this way? I believe it's so that we can learn what we need to learn. And how many of you learned by zero people challenging you ever in your life? Yeah. <laughs> My daughter raised her hand back there. <laughs> Not really, we're challenging you, you just don't pay attention. So if the most important thing on your soul's growth, on your soul's path is growth, and this earth is your school, then the prayer is really, help me to learn what I'm supposed to learn. Help me to learn what is mine to learn. Instead of the prayer, make this different so I don't have to deal with it. Right? Because isn't that what we're doing? This hurts too much to deal with it. God, magically just change it because I don't want to deal with it. Guess what? You are alive at this moment because you were chosen to deal with what's going on on the earth right now. In the micro and in the macro. You were chosen to be here, to, be, to have a human birth at this particular time. And I'm telling you that God would not have put you here if you didn't have important things to learn and to contribute. 
So we are here for each other. We are here for each other's healing. I believe that. I believe that. There's a whole form of therapy called imago based upon the fact that people find each other in relationship, not because, oh, they just magically meld in every way, soulmates, but because one person's wounds fit the other person's spikes <laughs> and vice versa. We have things to learn from each other. Yeah, I used to joke because I, I, this wisdom is something that's been in my mind. I've been learning about it for well over 30 years. I hadn't really put it into place then, but I knew enough to look at my husband when we were dating and say, hmm, God, you matched a girl with extreme abandonment issues with a guy who was never on time for anything. Every date we ever had, he was late. And so if he was late five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, I spent the five or 30 minutes or the hour going, he doesn't love me. He's not going to come. He went, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm even dating her. What was I thinking? An hour. I could do that easily, easily. I could do it for days, actually. But the thing is, he was just late because that's who he is. He's late. He's late. And he got put together with someone... <laughs> who's constantly instructing him on what it is he needs to do to live a better life. <laughs> I'm sure that's not what he asked for, but that's what he's getting. That's what he's getting. And um, you may notice in relationships that often, in friendships and in, lo in love relationships, um, that we tend to push each other's buttons. I believe that our children are given to us to push our buttons. First, they install them. <laughs> And then they know where they all are, and then they push them throughout their teenage years and maybe beyond. And our job is to start to get rid of those buttons because they show us every time our button gets pushed, we get a beautiful view of what inside us isn't working for us any longer and might need to change. That's what buttons are for. You probably thought they were for holding your shirt together there to teach us what God wants us to know, why, teach us why it is that we're here. And there's almost always a turtle in a relationship, somebody who goes whoop as soon as there's conflict. And then there's a, like a rhino, a, someone who's always charging forward. Wait a minute, wait a minute, we got to have this resolved. And the rhino must learn the ways of the turtle. And sometimes the turtle must learn the ways of the rhino, must learn to stand and face what's going on. And sometimes the rhino needs to learn, whoop, calm down, sit back. It's not all about you and your big horn. It's about existing together in the same space and allowing everyone to have some feeling of safety so that conflict, which is just really disagreement, which is the, just that we're all on a different end of the elephant, <laughs> thinking we know what the whole elephant is. In that calm place where no one's running and no one's chasing, that is the place where we get to find out the truth if we can share with each other deeply. So the practice in the workbook of, of uh, A Course in Miracles, it starts with um, Lesson 27, which says, first of all, just look around the room 
and say, everything you see, that has no meaning for me. This, this is only a music stand because I call it a music stand. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you see when you see it. I don't know. It has no meaning. I gave it all the meaning it has. I decided, oh, I'm going to put my music on it. It must be a music stand. I don't really understand any of it. And even my thoughts about it don't mean anything. And I'm not upset for the reason I think. And I can see only the past. In the past, this was called a music stand, and I used it to put music on it. But that's done. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's next. Our perceptions are colored by the past and our past perspective, and that ends up being what today's perspective is, the perspective that's based upon the past. And I'm not saying that in the human world it's not valuable to look at what you've been through and learned from and apply those lessons, but I am saying that if that's all you do, it's very, very dangerous because then you think you know, and the moment you think you know, you can't learn another thing. And so really, this is just about keeping our minds open. Imagine being the man who fell against the side of the elephant and just, you know, fan, rope, spear, what are you talking about? This is solid as a wall. Solid as a wall. And that's what we do. We bang our heads at the wall that we know is ours. We know it's true. We know it's the only way it can be. And guess what? It ain't. And we're not wrong, but we're not right. <laughs> we're not right. And so we begin to let go of, we begin to just call it what it is. I perceive a wall here, but I don't really know anything about it. I don't know what it is. And if that feels too esoteric to you, um, I'm going to give you some life examples of being able to see things differently. Above all, I want to see this differently. So when you do that, when you pray that prayer, please let me see this differently, then you are making a commitment to withdraw your perceptions, to withdraw all that past drama that you're about to lay on whatever it is that you're seeing or that you've already laid on it. It's about opening your mind to what it is and what it's for. And isn't that what art is? Opening your mind to saying, maybe this is not just a music stand. There are a million things I could use this for. But if I'm too attached to it being the music stand, I would never be able to hang these beautiful cranes from it. Or use it to prop my phone on when I'm doing a video prayer. Right? So at this point, when you say, let me look at things differently, you are now asking the world what it is rather than telling the world what it is asking people who they are rather than telling people who they are. Oh, I already know you, and here's who you are. Have you ever been home to your family after having been away for a long time? And you know that you have changed at depth during that time, and you come home and everybody treats you the same way they did when you were 12. <laughs> because they have chosen a way to see you based on the past, and oftentimes they're not willing or healthy enough to be able to open their eyes and see you as something different. But you can give them the gift of possibly seeing them as different, of not coming home with the attitude of, I know exactly what's going to happen when I get there. 
da 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 It may happen. I don't know. But it's about keeping that open mind. It's about keeping that, what the Buddhists call beginner's mind. Beginner's mind. As soon as you think you know, you can no longer learn. But as soon as you think you might not have all the information, then you are open to information. And curiosity is your most valuable tool when you meet people, when you look at things. Use your curiosity. I've told this story before. I'll tell it briefly this time. because I, I went to a women's march um, at one point. Uh, right after an election, and there were people standing on the side of the march holding signs, you know, suck it up, get out of here, go home, stuff like that. And uh, I, took much to my husband's chagrin, left the line and went immediately over to the people to, with the signs. Not to say, get out of here, this is our march, which is probably what they thought I was gonna say. But what I said instead was, can you tell me a little bit about why you're here? I, I know I want why I'm here. I know why I'm here, but I would love to know a little bit more about what, why you're here. And one of the people refused to talk to me, and that was fine. That was his choice. He didn't have to talk to me. I gave him that choice, and I moved on, and I moved to someone else, and I said, what about you? And he said, well, you know, all you people are trying to pretend that this didn't happen and that didn't happen, and, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. May I share my perspective? I, I absolutely give you that all of that did happen. And what I'm here to say is that this is my country too. And so regardless of who's in charge, I expect that person to be my leader, to listen to my needs, to be open to that. And he's like, well, okay, yeah. So I asked him to tell, we ended up having a 30 minute conversation. I missed the whole march. <laughs> At the end of it, we both had tears in our eyes. He hugged me. And as he left, he said, you've given me a lot of things to think about. And I said, you've given me a lot of things to think about. Because once we started talking, what looked like hatred was very clearly fear very clearly fear. I've been afraid enough in my life that I can have compassion for anybody with fear. And it helped me put a human face on people who perhaps some of the people marching with me wanted to call my enemy. I wasn't ready to call him my enemy. I was ready for him to tell me who he was. And that didn't mean we have to be best friends. It didn't mean either of our minds were changed, but we met each other on a place of willingness to listen. That is a way to see things differently. That is a way to see things differently. And we never will if we don't challenge what we think we already know. So we make a commitment to withdraw our preconceived ideas and open our minds to what it is, asking rather than telling, not binding the meaning of everybody else to my little bit of experience. Because guess what? All your perceptions are based upon your experience, which seems vast, right? I've lived a long time and I've learned many things. The human race is not even a blip on the radar of, of the planet, much less the universe or the galaxy or all of those beautiful galaxies that we're now getting pictures of back. Um, is your experience really that vast? 
Is my experience really that vast that I can say I already know and I can label everything as it is? I can label everything and know exactly what it is. It was very important to me growing up to be a good mother. I wanted to be a good mother. I had my child and I read every book in the world. I was reading parenting books before I was even pregnant. I read all when I was pregnant and how to be pregnant and how to nurse and what to do with babies and what to do with older kids and what blah, blah, blah. So I knew that when this person, this very lucky person was finally born into my world, I would be able to shape her in perfection so she would never have a doubt or a care or a fear. She would grow up responsible and compassionate and know just how to react in any situation because of my parenting. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Aaron Allen. <laughs> Who, thank God, I got a uh, a message early on that it would be much better for me to go, I wonder who this is, <laughs> than to go, I'm going to make her into everything that she will be. Any of you ever had a parent that tried to make you into their vision of who you should be? How bad did that hurt? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well said. And so curiosity, I wonder who this is going to be. I wonder who this is. And then when you use curiosity, guess what you get? Delight. Surprises at every turn. You get to learn to stay on your toes rather than slouching on a couch with a bag of potato chips. Mentally and emotionally, you get to learn to stay on your toes. A good practice for this, other than the practice I was giving you earlier from A Course in Miracles about just looking at things and saying, I don't actually know what this is. I don't. I have perceptions about it. I have opinions about it, but I don't actually know what it is. God, you show me. You show me. Payment Children says, when you begin to feel that you are hot, instead of going straight to the thermostat, take a moment and feel this is what heat feels like. This little rivulets of sweat running down my back. Hmm. It's not pleasant. It's not what I prefer. It's not killing me. Now, if it's 107 outside, get inside. It might kill you. But you get what I mean? When you're hungry, yes, eat when you're hungry. But for a moment before you start putting something in your mouth, feel what it feels like to be hungry. Most of us don't even let ourselves get there. We start thinking, oh, it must be around time for a meal. Ooh, I must be hungry. Ooh, let's go get something to eat, because I don't want to feel that. I want to feel that hunger pain. We had a guest musician here a few months ago, Scott um, Ainsley, who wrote a beautiful song called Rice Grows Again in Vietnam about the healing um, about the healing of a country that had been ravaged. And I listened to a lecture by him at a conference many years ago when he was talking about singing his songs to Vietnam vets in veterans' hospitals. And in that lecture, I had a personal epiphany about my own father, who had been dead for seven years at that time and whom I had already made up with. We had, we had done our healing before he passed, thank God. We had done our healing. 
And I forgave him, and he forgave me, and yet I did not understand. I thought I understood. But when this person was talking, I got that I did not understand. And suddenly, in an instant, I was able to view me as a child through my father's eyes, through his experience of danger and war, and how the only way to make it through was to be tough, the only way to make it through is don't let your vulnerability show, just like Joni Mitchell said in her song about love. Well, now I know, better have your defenses up. Don't be going into love without your defenses up because it hurts. Or is it possible that I don't know love at all and that it could be hurtful and beautiful and delightful and surprising and a nightmare and a dream and everything else in between. And as soon as I decide it's one, it's wonderful, and I open myself up to it, not listening to my own mind or wisdom anymore that I can actually put myself in danger. But then again, if I build a wall and say love hurts, period, what am I missing in this life? The best that life has to offer is what I miss when I build a wall. You get it? And I suddenly saw myself through my father's eyes, and I thought, you know, he, he was born into a family of farmers and hunters and you know all of that kind of stuff and and my brother was very like that and my sister and we he was in the army my whole life we lived on military posts that's who all our neighbors were and here was me la, 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 la. I, i'm gonna sing a song now everybody like my song i couldn't throw a ball i didn't want to shoot anything and he saw me as unsafe I believe that he looked at me and he thought, oh my Lord, how is this world going to, this girl going to make it through this world? And that perhaps he set out to toughen me up and that's what hurt me so badly because what I know is that I have a great reserve of emotional strength, but he didn't know that. He didn't know what that looked like at the time. He just saw this thing that looked completely vulnerable with her head in the clouds, singing songs and thinking somehow that was important. So I had a healing with my dad seven years after his death because my perspective was changed. And I am not closing out the possibility of having much more healings with my dad, even though he's gone and I'm older, because I have not decided that that is the absolute truth of all of our relationship. I just had a glimmer, an insight into what could be true. And that was a healing for me. And I believe that wherever he is, that was a healing for him as well, because we are one. We are one, and when we see something different, then we get to experience things as different. And then we are more open to the next experience of wonder, of wonder. So a new prayer for us, a new prayer for us today might be, let me see things differently. Let me learn what is mine to learn. Let me allow the others the dignity and grace to learn what is theirs to learn. Let me see life in ways that awaken my compassion rather than my reaction and my fear and my judgment and my ability to have a perception and then solidify it and shut the door on it. 
Make me effective in service. Help me bring more healing to the world. Because only by seeing things differently can I do this. Can you, can you see how that is true? That if you see the person that is your enemy only as your enemy, only in one way of looking at them, you close yourself off to something that might be really beautiful, not only really beautiful about them, but the very opening that they would need to get some grace and truth and beauty inside. If we have built the wall, then we're not sharing our grace and truth and beauty. And we can hope that someone else penetrates that wall, but we are not here to wait for somebody else to do the healing. We are here to heal. Does this stuff make sense to you? So it's all of that and more. So you, don't have, you can say, yes, I experienced this as a music stand, and it's very practical in that way. I bring my music up, and I set it on the stand, and there it is. It's very practical. I like it. But, and I can use that knowledge, but it doesn't have to mean that that's all ever that that's all ever. It's about learning to think outside the box and then throw away the box. Throw away the box. It's a more challenging way to live. I'm going to share one more thing before we go into meditation. Just, I heard this um, program on NPR a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this woman was reading this essay about words and their meanings. And she had sort of this, um, she hated the word fish, because what she knew as a wordsmith is that what we call fish, there are thousands of species that aren't fish at all, but we call them fish because they all live in the ocean. So we call them fish. And she's like, fish is just, it's a very specific term that applies to a very specific group of animals. And we use it wrong. And she was very judgmental at people who used fish for anything but a fish. She's a writer. She loved words. And then her eight-month-old son's 11th word was Shish. And anything in the water with a shish. <laughs> and it transformed her way of seeing that word and of seeing other words and brought her to a realization of how limiting words are, of how limiting words themselves are. Don Miguel Ruiz talks about this exact thing in the four agreements and the fifth agreement is that once we put a word, a lot of times we want to label something. We want to put a word on it so that we can put it in the drawer and not have to think about it anymore. That guy's a bad neighbor. I don't have to talk to him. Bad neighbor. Now I can focus on the good neighbors. Can you see the danger of that? That person is not me. What do I care what happens to him? That's how what happened in Germany in 1938 happened. Because people were willing to say, mm, that's not my drawer. This is the way I see things. And because one person who garnered a lot of followers said, all of these people fit in this one drawer. We're going to put one word on them. We're going to call that word bad. And then we don't have to think anymore. We don't have to bring our morality to bear. We don't have to bring our thoughts to bear. We don't have to bring our emotions to bear. We don't have to bring our compassion to bear because we have a word for this entire group of people and now they're not us anymore. They're them. They're them. 
Do you see the danger of making anyone in your life a them? And so maybe that's a place to start. As soon as you hear the word them or think it in your mind, say, God, help me see this differently. Help me see this differently. Because what I know in the depths of my heart is that there is only us. <laughs> There's only us. And them is my way of not having to deal with something that's difficult for me. Us puts it back in my own front yard and sets me up to deal with it. And guess what? It's hard, but you never, ever do it alone. The Spirit of God is with you every moment, guiding you. Every moment that we keep our minds open, we are shown how to do what is ours to do. But we have to keep asking. If we decided seven years ago what was ours to do and we're still struggling at it and it's not working, perhaps we need to take that out of its box and look at it again and allow something to new, new to emerge as to what is ours to do.